those lovely notes from Giuseppe Verde mean time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast on Calcio at the highest level. It's also the podcast where you can get great information on Serie A and then go off and write columns or do podcasts and take our ideas and pass them off as your own. I'm Frank Crivello. Glad you've gotten clicked on and, and stuck in with us again and looking forward to seeing who's going to steal our ideas next. Uh, also looking forward to seeing who's going to steal our ideas next is the co-host of the Serie A Sit Down, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. <laughs> Ciao, Frank. How are we doing? Uh, angry. I, I can people guess how stealing, you're doing. Yeah, people keep stealing our stuff. It's just absurd. And, you know, there's really nothing we can do about it. Listen, I, I'm not going to go on this tirade and I'm not going to name names. And, you know, and, and in a way I'm going to take the high road. But listen, I, I, I don't feel like I'm really competing with anybody here i i don't do this we, we don't get paid to do this okay um we we do this because we love Serie A. we love italian football we want to see it grow and i don't feel like i'm competing with other people out there i feel like we're all we all should have this you know serve the same purpose okay uh you know have a platform for english-speaking Serie A. make it great um you know and and make it attractive to the casual football fan uh it, to to get to the point where people are getting lazy and taking each other's ideas and you know and all this other mess, I, it's just come on now. You know, I, I know we're all watching the same league, and you, you're gonna get you're, you know when you're gonna do teams of the season or if you're gonna do these ideas or that ideas, you're gonna you, we're all going to be within the same pool of players and within the same ballpark. But come on, I mean, it's just uh, <laughs> you know we're regular <laughs> we're regular guys that just want to talk Serie A. You know, <laughs> we're not you know. We're not going to sit here and uh, uh, pass ourselves off as experts or anything like that. We just love the we just love the league and we love the game. So, what do you think? I think uh, the reason real the real reason Frank was off last week is because he was too angry to come on. He would just been cursing uh, nonstop, so he had to take a little breather. <laughs> but I agree with you 100. percent I mean, uh, come on, come, there's some, have some originality out there. And if you're gonna if you're gonna use someone's ideas or inspire by someone's ideas, credit them. I mean, go, yeah. go ahead and credit them. Do that at least. That, don't don't take the, all, don't don't lowball us. That is all. That is all I ask. You know, give us a little credit here for for our work and for you know the time that we take and for especially for our guests too. Um, you know, and uh, uh, that's all. That, that's all we ask. We're not we're not getting paid to do this. We want something that's entertaining. We want something that's enjoyable for people to listen to, and we want to help grow uh, Serie A. Uh, you know, for an English speaking audience. So. Uh, you know, just if you're going to do something like that, if you found if you heard something on our podcast and you want to use it for a column or if you want to use it for a story or for something like that, just do us a favor. Give us some credit. OK. And it actually ties in pretty well because we are our, our guest um, also is <laughs> is a victim of this sort of activity. Um, he is a part. He's a co-host of Sempre SSC Napoli. We've had James McGee on in the past a couple of times. Uh, this gentleman is making his first appearance uh, on the Serie A sit-down, and we are proud to have him here. We say benvenuto to Ken Ciofredi. Ciao, Ken. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, being in the same boat as you, although it's not, you know, necessarily the best boat to be in, but I, I think a lot of us can relate here in in sort of, you know, things that, things that we've gone through. And, you know, I sort of just jump on the back of what you said, you know, we're, we are in the business. Uh, I, I know it's sempre. Uh, we, we're in the business of helping grow the community, and and that's that's really the main focus for us. And and we really hope that you know 
others in the community think of it the same way. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you guys do some dynamite stuff there, uh, you know, over at S- uh, Sempre SSC Napoli. And, uh, uh, you know, it has to be a lot of fun to cover uh, a team that uh, uh, is easy on the eye uh, as far as as far as the quality of football. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the last couple seasons, it's easier and easier as a Napoli fan to 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 be proud of the of the product on the field. And, you know, I know a lot of us are just hoping we can at the bare minimum get six more months out of out of the beautiful football here. And and, you know, we are we are I like to say we are cautiously optimistic in in our in our chances this season. And I think that, you know, it's 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 really interesting to be one of those teams that you know, around, around the football universe get, gets lauded with praise because I think for a long time, we really, we really weren't. So it, we'll take it where we can get it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, uh, let's, th- let's just jump into this season a little bit, um, here before we get in. And what we're going to do is just have a, have a quick Q and a, maybe call it a little bit of a progress report, uh, you know, on your team. And then, um, uh, and then we'll jump into these recaps, but let's, uh, let, let's talk about the Parthenon pay, uh, top of the table, 51 points, uh, you know, every, you know, about five or six teams getting off to some really hard starts, but when the smoke cleared, uh, we're, we're where we thought we would be Napoli and Juve fighting it out for the Scudetto. Um, what to you is key for Napoli, you know, number one to sustain the success, but to this year at last, uh, fight off the old lady and, uh, and win this title? I think that, well, I'm hoping that la- the, w- the changes we needed for this season happened last season. And that was a mentality shift in, in sort of breaking out from that happy to be the bridesmaid sort of situation. You know, last year we played Real Madrid in champions league and the way that we played and the way that we were respected by arguably the best team in Europe. I mean, maybe this season, not quite the same, but you know, last year anyway, really boosted the team's confidence. And then sort of in the midst of that, we played Juventus twice in three days and, uh, you know, drew them in Serie A and then beat them in the leg of Coppa Italia, even though we did go out after losing slightly controversially in the first leg and I think that the team has really carried over that belief in themselves into this season. And I think carrying over the same squad and not losing anybody in the summer was absolutely key to that. You know, there's there's this talk of a Scudetto pact between the players this season and everybody wanted to stick around. And, and you could see that belief in them this year. They've been able to fight and claw and get wins that weren't necessarily, you know, the prettiest wins. You know, the, the match against Roma is, you know, at the Olympico stands out you know, a one nil win where we get a goal off a deflection off the calf of De Rossi. And, you know, th- those types of wins are wins that maybe we wouldn't have gotten last year. That The match against Sampdoria where we go down twice and come back and get a 3-2 win in the in the game that gets Hamshik to the Napoli all-time goal record. These these are the types of things that, that maybe last year you wouldn't have seen. And I think the hope is that we can continue that in the second half of the season. And, Juve, you know, is going to be Juve. They are hitting their stride right now. They have conceded, I think, one goal in their last six Serie A matches, which is absolutely insane. And, you know, they're they're going to be there barring something crazy. So, I mean, we're 10 points better off than we were at this time last season. And we just have to try to 
outmuscle Juve, and it's not going to be easy. And I think we all know that, but you know, we're just going to hope we can get get to the promised land this year. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, uh, everyone outside of Juventus fans are definitely hoping for that because uh, this is the best chance any team has had to uh, compete with Juve this uh, this year, as opposed to the last six seven years. So, um, what I'm asking you, you're talking about belief and confidence. Um, <laughs> A man who has no shortage of confidence and belief is Kaladu Kolibali. Um, you know, we, we talk about on here how he's, he's quietly becoming one of the best defenders in Europe. Uh, what have you seen from him really since really the Africa Cup of Nations last year through now that, uh, got you believing that this guy is one of the best defenders in the world? Uh, what have you seen in his game and how it's evolved from, you know, from then until now? He, I mean, even going back further from when we first signed him from from Hent. Um, he was a raw guy that had all the tools, but, you know, was missing the sort of toolbox, you know, and and he had the physical party. You know, he's a he's a center back with plenty of pace, you know, he, maybe not quite as as pacey as someone like, you know, Manolas, but, you know, he's got pace to, to stick with with pacier uh, attackers. And and I, I think in the last year, what you've seen is sort of jumping off the fact of the team of the team being more confident. I think he's just been given utmost confidence by by our coach Maurizio Sarri. I mean, and if you watch Koulibaly's performances this year, you you can see him put you know some of the best attackers in in the world and definitely the best attackers in Serie A in his pocket. I mean, you see the way. I mean, we we have clean sheets against Roma this year. We have. You know, clean sheets against Inter this year, and you know you're talking about Jeco, you talk about uh, Mauro Riccardi. I mean, and then even against Juventus, I mean, I know Higuain scored the the winner, but I mean, for the most of that match, Higuain is in Koulibaly's pocket. And if you watch the matches this past weekend, I mean, I know he's just a kid, but you want to see a guy, you know, a promising young player in Moise Kien, you know, just get taken out of a game completely by one player. Kaladu Koulibaly just. Said, you know what, youngster, not today. I'm just gonna, <laughs> you're just gonna not gonna have to worry about it. And I think that, in in my humble opinion, and I know Skriniar has been, you know, an absolute revelation for Inter this year. But Koulibaly for me is, and I know I'm gonna get blasted because they're gonna call Napoli biased. But I think Koulibaly is the best defense, central defender in Serie A. The guy for me. Um... Uh, that I that, that I think gets uh, the least of the plot. So I'm going to talk about a couple of players here for you, Ken. Um, you know, I, we did our midseason review pod, and I declared Lorenzo Insigne the player of the half season um, because of his play off of the field and then because of Napoli's performances with his absence uh, from those games. Uh, because I, I, I saw the contrast between the two teams, especially in that front third. Um, you know, so comment on Lorenzo Insigne, his importance as the team, and then uh, comment on Allen, uh, because I think he is the most underappreciated uh, player. I mean, everybody's talking about Lucas Torreira at Sampdoria, Sergio Milinkovic-Savic at, uh, at Lazio, and they're having excellent seasons. But th- Napoli can't do some of the pressing, and they can't do some of the things that Sarri does without Allen's presence in there. Yep, you're you're absolutely right, Frank. So Insigne, I mean. I think he's, if not the best, maybe the second or third best Italian player in the, in the world. I mean, I know there's going to be people out there screaming for Verratti, and they got a case for that. But, I mean, Insigne, and, and especially in the way we set up, and if he, like like you said, the games that he wasn't there, 
I mean, I think Gulam not being there was a part of it, but the games where we had Zielinski on the left wing and and Mario Rui on uh, as playing left back, you could see Napoli's sort of tactical prowess on the left was completely gone. They tried to go down the right. They were trying to do things on the middle and and Insigne's influence and and the way he can the way he draws defenders towards him to make that left back make those runs to get into those spaces by the byline and pull the ball back. And and is also just his one-on-one ability. He has the ability to sort of make one touch sort of going parallel to the 18-yard box and and hit that curling ball into the top right corner or get those teasing crosses into Callejon. It's something we've we've sort of Napoli have sort of trademarked is that is that back post cross coming in from Insigne and and Callejon sort of just being there to tap it in. And his influence when he's not there is absolutely immense. And I, I think that, you know, he's one of those attacking players in Serie A that, you know, if you don't if you don't watch Napoli that often, you'd probably be the first person that that'll jump off, jump off the screen at you. And in contrast to that, a player that might not jump off the screen at you right away till you watch a few Napoli games is, is Alan. And I think if I'm going over it and everyone knows what Insignia brings, but I, I think if I was if I was going to pick an MVP of the season for Napoli so far, it'd probably be Alan, uh, only because of in that midfield three, Sadi has, has sort of dug out these roles for these guys so well that without Alan, you wouldn't be able to do any of the other things. Jorginho as a regista, his his job is is to is to sort of move that ball back and forth and, and be that metronome and 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 make those nice incisive passes and sort of direct everybody. And Hamshik's job is to sort of be that sort of trailing attacking player that's there to sort of pick up the pieces and 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 do Matic Hamshik things. And Alan does literally everything else. You need a ball to be one back, he's gonna do it. You need a ball to be delivered from the the midfield line to the box, he's gonna do it. You need a guy to track all the way back and cover defense, he's gonna do it. And the thing that I've seen this season from him as opposed to other seasons is I feel like his engine and his you know, his conditioning has gone up to a level that it wasn't at before. I think you used to see Alan be able to do that for 45, 50 minutes a game, but you are seeing him consistently do it for 90 minutes, 18, 19, 20 times this season already. And if he can continue that, I mean, there are people who are going to be out there that, you know, I, I think if he continues that, he's, he has a chance to be our MVP for the whole season because I, I think Alan is also going to make a case to make it very difficult for Brazil not to include him in, in the World Cup squad. And that's a very good reason why he was picked in our, our Guadrafinora is because of that work rate. Uh, we noticed that and it's something that jumped out, jumped out on the screen to us. Um, you know, with, with, you know, Hamsik finally scoring and being back, uh, playing positively and doing well. Uh, Insigne is obviously when he came back, the whole team got their swagger back. Um, you know, they made, Napoli makes these fantastic back post runs. Like I said, Insigne, Insigne, Callejon, uh, Mertens. I mean, the whole team does. They do it perfectly. If anybody want to watch this, how to, how to run this kind of play, you just watch Napoli. Um, but you know, out a lot of us outside of the Napoli comp, um, we always say, you know, Napoli need a plan B just in case someone tries to shut down their plan A. Um, this January, you're going to get a, a Serie A sit down favor, Bobby English, Roberto Inglese. Um, what are you expecting out of him with his, uh, with his, uh, move over to you guys from Kievo? Um, is he that plan B that you guys are looking for? Or what are you expecting him to bring to the table? Well, assu- assuming Inglese comes in, which randomly now is under question, even though. Oh, really? Even though De Laurentiis basically guaranteed he was coming in. I, I guess, I, I, I guess Milik is close to coming back. But e- either way, I'm going to assume that 
Inglese is still going to come in because I just think that two and a half months after ACL surgery, you you can't no, bank on soon, bank on soon. bank on Milik being ready to come back. But I mean, th- things that Inglese offer are the things that we don't have right now. But th- it's, this is sort of a two pronged thing because we saw that we saw a similar move last January where where Napoli brought in uh, Pavoletti, who I think is physic is sort of. A sort of similar in sort of physical ways, but I, th- I think Inglese is more of a technical upgrade because I think Inglese does some of the things that Pavoletti can't do. Pavoletti is your your stand up prima punta. I'm going to stand and just get the ball to me, and and, I, and I'm just going to going to head it home. Uh, Inglese does offer that, but Inglese does all does also offer a little bit of tracking back, a, a little bit of a sort of that play where you can he can pick the ball up and and distribute it a little bit and. When when uh, Adek Milik was healthy earlier this season, Maurizio Sarri started tinkering with. Uh, he did it a couple times late in matches where he'd bring Milik on as a substitute, and he would actually switch the tactics to a four-two-three-one, and he would drop uh, Mertens back into a sort of second striker, attacking midfielder type of role, and that player that that's going to be your your furthest forward was holding the ball up and allowing you know, players like Mertens and Insigne and, right, and Kyle exactly. to sort of run, run in behind. And I think that's something that Inglese could offer. And I, I think it really frustrated Sadi when Milik went down because, you know, that plan B that everybody is talking about really went away. And they saw a struggle, uh, especially when Insigne was out. And I, and I know Mertens hasn't scored a league goal in a while. Uh, he did score in the Copa this week, but, you know, he has been, he has been sort of tallying up the assists. And I think, his presence isn't isn't gone in games yet, but we do definitely need that sort of wrinkle, whether it be coming off the bench. And I think we we talked about it a bit in our in the Sempre podcast earlier today. Is you know it, we need a player that that can come in and give us a different dynamic. And a lot of times Napoli can get frustrated when these teams like Verona did yesterday sort of go in these two banks of four and invite the pressure and say you know you're going to have to find a way to get by us. And I think that having that sort of aerial threat is something that that we could really use, you know, and especially in these games that are low scoring. You see Koulibaly yesterday get a headed goal off a corner. You want another sort of actual attacking option like that. And I am hopeful that Inglese can can do that and that in turn Sadi sees that and appreciates that as an option off the bench. Mm-hmm. Real quick, last one for me. Um, Marikamsik, uh broke Maradona's record. Uh you know, a little comment on him uh, and the, uh, the the icon that he is for Napoli. It's you know, there's there's so much to, positive to say uh, about Matakamshik and 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 sort of what he symbolizes to the club. And it was a real bummer earlier this year to see his dip in form, and it, it, it was it was bad. He was just flat out bad, and it it was really frustrating to see as a Napoli fan because. He just wasn't doing the things that he normally does. He he wasn't his passing wasn't crisp. He he wasn't making those runs, you know, into the box. He was just sort of holding up. And then when he got the goal against Torino to tie the record, something in his brain just snapped back into place. And you know, the, all then all of a sudden, you know, he scored three goals in in a, in a couple matches, and and he's back to his old self. But I mean, you're going to see you, – you see nowadays this doesn't happen too often. He's He's been with the club since our first season back in Serie A, so 2007, 2008. And, you know, he, he, he sort of shrugged it off 
going into the season that the record didn't mean that much to him. But when, when he scored that that goal to go clear, you could see the expression on his face. And it happened at the San Paulo. And, you know, he turned back and he, and he gave the thumbs to his jersey. And, and he really does deserve it. I mean, you talk about a guy who's done everything every coach has asked him to do, whether it's positive or negative. I mean, he was, for all intents and purposes, a, a left winger. You know, in in Matsadi's three four two one, he played as a classic number ten under Rafa Benitez, which was probably the worst thing I've that they could have done for him because he didn't excel in that role. But you know, was back to goal too often. That's a player that you want to be using his vision and going forward and and making those type of type of plays. And you see him transform again under Maurizio Sarri, and 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 the coach has said it best earlier in the season when Hamshik was playing every single game, you know, why don't you give the guy a rest? He's struggling. He says, and he said, you know what? Matic Hamshik is the only world-class player we have on this team. And it is, and he is impossible to replace. So I, I, th- I think I want to just side with the coach there and leave it at that. Matic Hamshik is, you know, our world-class player. And, and he's, and when, whenever his time is done at Napoli, he's going to be very, very difficult to replace. Uh, indeed, indeed. And uh, yeah, what a servant he has been to that club. Uh, through the years so great chat great chat here about Napoli uh give us your if you're listening give us your opinions on Napoli go to at City I sit down or Twitter how about we jump into some recaps here guys let's do it let's do it all right here we go recapping match week 20 uh, so we uh we had a pretty interesting uh uh, week of matches. Obviously, these are the reverse fixtures from uh, match week one. Uh, and uh, we were treated to some goals this week, Richard. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> I, it, they came they came thick and fast. I think 27 goals here at the weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and there were no scoreless draws, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, continue to, being, continue to being a rather prolific league. Uh, and uh, the action began, uh, in fact, on Friday, uh, where we had uh, we started with Kievo taking on Udinese, um, and it only took nine minutes for that scoring to begin. And boy, what a way to get it started! Pezzella, il tocco all'indietro, Radovanovic, il sinistro, il gol, il gran gol di Radovanovic, Kievo in vantaggio, nono minuto sul cronometro del primo tempo. Stupenda! Ivan Radovanovic with an absolute screamer uh, off of a corner kick. Uh, and apparently Nenad Tomovic felt so bad about uh, how Udinese was absolutely ripped, or actually Udinese's goal was ripped, um, that uh, he decided to score one for them uh, just before halftime. Uh, and that's how this match ended. Uh, one goal to one goal apiece. Um <clears throat> Interesting one here, Richard, because Udinese were flying up until this point, uh, you know, and are still sitting in the top half of the table. And then you take a look at Chievo. Uh, I think they value this point clearly more than Udinese do, because up until this, you know, to, until this point happened, Chievo was in a bit of a free fall, weren't they? Yeah, losing to like Crotone, Benevento, they were definitely free fall. And uh, Timo looked like they were doomed for relegation by the way that they were playing. On the other hand, Udinese, they were just beating everybody, it seemed like. I mean, other than other than uh, playing against Napoli, it seemed like they were the better team in every match. Um, so this is the first time, actually, you know, like I said, other than Napoli, that a team uh, played them played them so well. It was a really a back-and-forth game. Uh, credit to, Ud- uh, to credit to Chievo for 
you know, finally trying to shake off some of that, 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 that rust or that, that slide that's going on and put up a good fight today and, and, or Friday and then nearly came out with it. Um, definitely, definitely good game plan, um, by the manager and by Kievo and they, they nearly got it. Uh, they, they definitely gave Udinese all they could handle. Yeah. I, I think, again. I think, I think you have to, get, I mean, this is Udinese. I think they had a five game Serie A win streak snapped this week. So, I mean, you know, credit to Kievo, but I mean, the job that, that Odo is doing at, at Udinese is absolutely unbelievable. I, it's oh, yeah. one of those oh, crazy yeah. turnarounds that, I mean, even even with two thirds of a season under his belt, if they continue that, he's going to be up for you know manager of the year probably. It's crazy to see. I mean, you see, everyone loves that young talent they have in midfield. midfield. Yanko, Barak, uh, you know, all those guys are. It's crazy. Udinese has always been a home for young talent, and and Odo is finally you know harnessing that for the first time in the last couple of years. And we've been saying that about Massimo Odo. Uh, this was this seemed like the perfect job for him, considering the young talented players, his tactics, his system. Um, you know, and it is uh, it is working out well. Bit of a setback here, and yeah, Kievo really did outplay them, forced six saves uh, out of the goalkeeper in this one. Um, you know, but uh, you know, to still go on the road and get a point when you're Udinese, you, you you gladly take it to kind of keep yourself in the top half of the table. So uh, honors even in that one, and then the uh, second game on Friday, a bit of a showpiece uh, as it relates to Serie A was Fiorentina against Inter. Very entertaining game. Uh, if you happen to be a neutral and take this one in, uh, you know, Fiorentina certainly showing no fear. Inter having, uh, you know, some pretty good chances here in the first half. Uh, ended up being nil-nil at halftime. Uh, but then uh, a free kick uh, for Inter uh, 10 minutes into the second half. And uh, guess who got on it? Uh had his first effort save, but uh, he did this with the uh, rebound. Palla dentro il colpo di testa di Cardi. Vincente il suo tapin dopo la prima respinta di Sportiello. Dieci minuti nella ripresa. L'Inter è davanti grazie al gol numero 18 in campionato di Maurito Icardi. Moro Icardi, the Serie A sit-down favorite to win Capo Cananieri, adding to his total. Uh, that is now his... 18th goal of the Serie A season. Um, Richard, where would uh, Inter be without Moro Icardi at this point? Uh, who knows? Because I mean, right now they're not even playing that. They're not playing that well. They're in a little bit of a downward spiral at the moment. But um, you know, without his goals, I mean, he's got a majority of their goals, unfortunately, for them. And so, if his goals do dry up, they're gonna they would be in a whole world of hurt. They'd probably be somewhere mid table, uh, if not for the for the likes of uh, Icardi and his goals, because. Um, he, he's showing that he can score any which way possible. And this goal, the effort he, he, he put to, to get it was amazing. I mean, he, the header attempt that he tried and then just to, the wherewithal just to stay with it, compose himself and finish it off on the rebound. Um, yeah, it just says what kind of player he is. He's, he's, uh, it's fun to watch. And I hate to say that as a, as a Milan fan. <laughs> so, also got- I was going to ask you, Ken, were you surprised Ken Dreva didn't start this game? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I I, I think that I don't, uh, I'm not the biggest Kondreva fan personally, and I and I mean I was gonna just gonna give credit to his uh, replacement here on the delivery for the goal because Cancelo puts an absolute peach in for Icardi yeah. to get his head to it, and I mean 
you know, it's one of those things where they – I know last year they shelled out big money for to bring Condreva in, but this year they also shelled out big money to bring in Cancelo. So, you know, I, I, th- I think with the slide they're on, you know, I think maybe you see some changes coming in just to sort of maybe mix things up. I mean, and then like 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 Richard said, I mean, without Icardi, I mean, he scored 51% of their goals this year. So without him, God knows where they'd be. <laughs> Well, I mean, it somewhat took uh, that from Cancelo because, and you know, for for Icardi to be able to come through uh, and and get this goal, because for me, I thought Petzela and Astori, uh, you know, in tandem, did a pretty nice job, uh, you know, keeping Icardi relatively quiet in this game, because uh, I couldn't think of a whole lot that uh, a whole lot of chances that Icardi was able to carve out in this game, but that's. You know, it's the mark of a great striker, though he doesn't. Exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah, he just, doesn't. He doesn't need. He just needs one chance, and boom. Exactly. Um, you know, but for somebody as prolific as Icardi, and I think we had some ridiculous statistic in one of our last podcasts that I think 75% or so of his chances are on target. In fact, it's at 72 now when you take a look at it. Um, Insane. You know, yeah. So it, he is a true striker in the sense that, yeah, he only needs one chance, uh, you know, to change a game. So uh, that did put Fiorentina on their heels a little bit. They did uh, make a few changes here. Uh, you know, they, they introduced, uh, Valentin Isidek, who was Kuma Babakar to try to get an extra striker up front. Uh, and, uh, some of the changes here by Stefano Pioli here in, in Pioli, excuse me, uh, would pay off. Piragi, la conclusione, dentro Simeone! Il pareggio del Ciolito al minuto 91! Stoppage time equalizer for Fiorentina through Giovanni Simeone. Uh, Richard Fiorentina big point for them or just another sign of Inter continuing to struggle uh, both I mean Fiorentina have had a lot of draws as of late um, as a matter of fact six of the last eight games in Serie A have, have ended in a draw that's as much as they had mm. in the first 29 games before that um, so they've been not all draws are great for them the last two weeks have been good draws for them um, uh, especially here against Inter, it's a, it's a quality opponent way ahead of you in the table. Uh, so anytime you can draw a team that's above you, if you can't beat them, at least draw them. That's what they did. Um, and it was great. It was a great effort by Cholito. Um, but also, you know, Inter, it's just a sign of their struggles are continuing right now. Um, yeah, they got a point out of it, but, um, they're just in this little bit of free fall. And before it was a three horse race and now it's clearly a two horse race. And they've dropped off in the pack, and now they're in the, they're in the, they're in the midst with a, a fight with Lazio and, and uh, Roma for for the third and fourth position. So uh, they need a if if they want to you know be in the Champions League next season, they're going to have to shake shake this off and somehow uh, get their game back going because um, it's it's Serie A's week in and week out. You have to bring your A game. There's so many good teams in, in this league. There are plenty of you know shit teams, but there there's a lot of good teams right now. I mean, you could easily say ten good teams every week that you're going to have to worry about. Um, and there's some teams outside the top ten that you have to also worry about. So, um, good good draw for Fiorentina. It's it's a a, sh- a shameful loss, especially with a, the goal that Icardi scored that you had to give up a, a late goal, a late draw there. So, um, you know, yeah. I mean, there's not much more you can say about that. I mean, just Inter need to do better, and, and Fiorentina need to find a way to score and get a win. I mean, on the balance of this game, I found it to be a fair result from from oh, watching yeah. it. Um, you know, I think that both teams played both teams played particularly well. Ken, your thoughts on a couple of players here for Fiorentina? Uh, you know, the, the the talk a lot of the talk will be about Federico Chiesa, and I thought he was very good in this game. 
but uh, you know, a player, another player that's starting to fly under the radar. We talked about how Alexander Kolarov is having no competition at left back in our squad. Uh, we, but Cristiano Beraghi is turning in some pretty good performances all of a sudden. Yeah, I feel like Beraghi is a one of these players that he, he'll probably continue to fly under the radar. You know, sometimes fullbacks can just sort of slip underneath, and, and if you're not sort of just you know whipping in crosses and getting assists or, or doing something from a dead ball situation, you can just you know not be noticed every game. But you know, Fiorentina is one of those weird teams where if they could get it together and Pioli could could get these guys you know all on the same page. You know, I, th- there's a reason why a te- the, the team on paper can't be competing for for Europa League. I mean, Giovanni Simeone is a really promising young talent. You know, they got yeah, they got ben- yeah. they got coming into the season. I thought them getting Benassi from Torino was going to be one of the steals of the year. Um, they got they got Vitu or Vetu. I'm going to butcher his name. You know that they brought in from from Aston Villa, who used to play for Nantes, who's who's a, who's a really good player, and, and you know. A story is is going to be another you know one of these underrated players. Even though I have some ill feelings for him for spurning Napoli a couple of years ago uh, on a transfer, but you know Fiorentina is one of those weird teams where I mean even a player like Kuma Babakar, who who you know I feel like at some points you're like wow this guy's going to score twenty goals in a season and then you know they they just can't put all the pieces together. They're one of those very enigmatic teams in Serie A where on any given day they can they can beat you or on any given day you can trounce them 4 or 5 nothing. Did you guys see that play by Kuma Babakar nearly getting that bicycle overhead goal? Uh, just missed yes. it over the crossbar. It was beautiful and powerful yes. hit. Yes, I agree. Well taken. I, I, I did see that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what a, ga- a very good game. Two good teams playing, playing at a relatively high level. Uh, that's what you want to see when you get two of the brand names, uh, if you will, hooking up. So, um, and then the rest of the games were on Saturday. Uh, uh, the, uh, the action opening up with Torino taking on Bologna. Uh, midweek, uh, Urbano Cairo decided uh, it was time to move on from Sinisa Mihailovic and move quickly uh, to bring former Napoli boss Walter Mazzari uh, uh, to the Granata. Uh, and uh, he opens up with a match against Roberto Donadoni's Bologna. Um, and... Uh, this game was uh, pretty much uh, it was all Torino, uh, to, you know. You know, to put it plainly, uh, dominated possession, dominated the chances, and uh, their reward would pay off in the 38th minute. Va Berenguer, colpo di testa arriva, il gol del vantaggio di De Silvestri. Il Torino la sblocca al 38esimo. Lorenzo Di Silvestri. Uh, scoring to put the Granata in front. Uh, that's the score at halftime by a goal to nil in the second half. Uh, the man who has kind of been taking the place of Andrea Bellotti, who has been out injured, uh, and he scored a brilliant one here to put them up 2 nil. Pallone dentro per Niang. Riesce a sterzare Niang! Torino 2, Bologna 0, Bayer Niang! And by Niang. Uh, pretty much securing the points at that at that point. And then a third goal by Iago Falke, who uh, has probably been, Ken, the most valuable player of this Torino team uh, as this season has gone on. Uh, comment on uh, his performances a little bit here, uh, you know, and what he's meant to Torino at this point, especially with Apelotti. Yeah, yeah I, was, uh, I was just about to say as we got into this that, that Iago Falke is, is – Probably one of one of my favorite attacking players in Serie A that doesn't play uh, play for Napoli, and 
it's it's funny to see that that Matsadi didn't automatically switch the team back to a three man backline as was as what he's used to, and he kept a four three three. And and I think you know making sure you keep players important to the side like like Iago Falke going is is probably part of the reason why. I mean, I he's one of those one of those wingers where. One on one, he can beat you with pace. He can beat you with delivery. He can beat you. He got an assist and a goal in this match. So, you know, he's he he's a very very dangerous attacking player and and sort of similar to Fiorentina. Torino is a team that on any given day can give you a really hard time. And I think you know uh, another former Napoli boss, Roberto Donadoni, will agree with you this week because he is you know Torino have the tools a lot of times to just blast past you. And and Niang is another one of these guys who. At, at some point, you just hope that he can just put all of his tools together and, and become this this force that 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 he was sort of touted as as, as a teenager. And you know, maybe the the chances he's got with Bellotti not being able to keep fitness will will be the chances he needs to to, to keep going and maybe put together all those pieces for himself. Yeah. Uh, we had a question from uh, James on Twitter, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll ask you this question first. Ken, your thoughts? Uh, you, you know, you know, Mazzotti quite well uh, from his time at Napoli. What do you think of Torino's decision to uh, uh, have him take over the reins? I mean, personally, I'm one of these guys. I mean, I'm as a Napoli fan, I'll always have a spot in my heart for Walter Mazzotti. He, you know, he we ha- we've been lucky enough to have a, multiple coaches since we've come back to Serie A that that are very sentimental. We had we had Eddie Reha for a while, and, and he brought us through uh, Serie B into Serie A, and then. Uh, when we got to Matsari, he sort of took us to the next level. You know, constant, consistent European competition. Uh, our first Champions League. Uh, you know, the three tenors with Lavezzi, Cavani, and and Hamšík, and you know, th- those are those are fun times to be. Were fun times to be a Napoli fan. You know, those having our first match against Manchester City in the Champions League, and Cavani putting one through Joe Hart's wickets, and and you know, just being able to celebrate that that first. Champions League goal. I mean, he. I mean, and he's one of those. He's one of those classic Serie A managing characters. You know, he's got plenty of hand gestures and and yelling, and he's been known to get sent off. And I think, you know, tactically, you know, he was one of the one of these guys that really got into the three man backline before it was you know all the vogue in in, in European football. And, you know, I don't know if Torino is going to go that way, but I mean, he's definitely a capable manager. You know, I mean, granted, he did have a major hiccup with Inter, and and he, and he wasn't maybe the best candidate to take over a you know a, a Premier League squad with knowing absolutely no English. No English. He got absolutely blasted for that, and I imagine that was a big part of his demise at Watford. But on shorthand notice, you know, someone who's who's ready and willing to take the job, I, I think Matsadi could could do, especially in the short term, could do good things for Torino. At least getting their, this season righted. Yeah, absolutely. Richard, how about you? Do you like this appointment for Torino? It seems like it's a it seems like it's a good fit with some of the personalities in this team and what Matsari likes to do. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were asking why was Mihalovic let go. Well, I mean, under the fifty seven games while he was in charge, Torino drew twenty four of those games. He was brought in to help you know help the team win, um, and he frankly wasn't getting it done, so that's why he had to go. Uh, but yeah, Mazzari, I mean, yeah, it's just his fifth team, you know, in, in Serie A. Um, probably majority of the wins he has as a manager probably came with Napoli. <laughs> um, he, I think he's a, it's a right fit for them. Um, cause they obviously needed some new injections, some, some new words. Cause I think the way Mihalovic manages or, um, it's, it's the old way basically. He, 
you know, being a drill surgeon to these younger players is not going to cut it. Back in the day, it would work, but now these young guys, you need to explain it to them more, um, show them what you're talking about. And I think Mazzari has a better way of connecting with players than, than does Mihalovic. Um, so I think he'll be able to take that. This team is full of talent. They're more than capable of being a top 10, even a challenge for Europa League. Uh, the question is, can he, can he bring this potential out of them? Can he get Pelotti back to scoring again? Uh, we saw a glimpse of that today where, uh, the team, it did what, I mean, this Alvestri scored, I think it scored his fourth goal of the season. Um, uh, Iago Falque is still playing well, which is important to them because, like Ken was saying, I mean, he, he's, he's probably their best player easily. Um, he just such a, he pulls strings and, and dictates play. Uh, and then Niang, I mean, you get, you get Niang scoring, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a feat in itself right there. Um, he didn't do that too often with, uh, Milan. So, uh, I think Mazzari is, it's a good, a good decision, uh, to, for the hire. Um, hopefully he'll, uh, it'll turn Torino enough around that they're going to be sort of contending for these, uh, Europa League spots. I think currently they're in the top 10. Um, so, um, and hopefully we don't see that many more draws and losses as far as Torino go, because they have potential. I mean, we, we, we saw at the beginning of the season that they're, some of the biggest things that they had to work on was in goal, which is an upgrade with Sidigu. By the way, by the way, Sidigu had a penalty save today, or right. uh, on Saturday, uh, against, uh, who was that again? Uh, Eric Pulgar. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't matter who it was against. It was a fantastic save. Um, so they upgraded, in, they upgraded in goal, and they also need to upgrade in defense, and they got Nkulu, and, uh, he's, uh, he's definitely an upgrade from what they had before. So, I mean, they had, you know, if, if, like Kenny said, if they can keep the, the 4-3-3. They have the defenders there now that, you know, this has got to get them to play tactically better. Um, and once you do that, I think Torino are going to be on the up. Yeah, definitely agree with, with everything you guys have said about Mazzotti. Fair to say, and I'll, 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 I'll make the commentary on this. I think Bologna have peaked. Um, you know, they got on a nice little run here at the beginning of the season. We were kind of yeah, looking at them yeah. as one of the supplies, surprise packets. Uh, and I still think Donadoni's a, 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 a strong manager here, but it's, you know, for a squad like Bologna and for such, you know, for such a young team that they have, I mean, it was going to be so difficult for them to sustain, uh, you know, the run that they'd got on in the early stage of the season. So, um, and, uh, you know, Torino came out guns blazing and uh, right now making Urbano Cairo ma- looking really good uh, for um, moving on from Mihailovic and bringing in Matsari. The players looked inspired and, uh, you know, turned in a performance accordingly. So um, then we had the uh, multi-cal show, and uh, we're going to address, uh-oh, uh-oh, Richard, are they going to do it? Is this, is this, <laughs> are they going to out Crotone Crotone? Is this really going to, is it going to happen? I. We got to talk about it. Here we go. Benevento and Sampdoria. Uh, and, uh you know, just before halftime, in fact, it looked like it was going to be same old, same old for the witches. Spalla di ritorno, Quagliarella, area di rigore, prova la conclusione, Valencia Pallarete! Vantaggio Sampdoria, Caprari, 1-0! Gianluca Caprari put Sampdoria in front uh, and uh, by, by a goal to nil, and that is what the uh, uh, score would be at halftime. Uh, but then the uh, second half, uh, Roberto De Zerbi rounds up his troops, gets them motivated, gets them back out there in the second half, and in the 69th minute, Massimo Coda uh, equalizing. Uh, for Benevento, and he wasn't done because 15 minutes later. Benevento in vantaggio! 
Mallorca, punizione per il gol del 2-1 e tutti sotto la curva. He nets his brace and Benevento leads Sampdoria. Sixth place Sampdoria, 2-1. Wow. What is, what, what is going on here? And, and uh, just to validate this and wrap up the three points. Ancora coda, area di rigore, la palla dentro, Barbigliola la rete! E la chiude il Benevento, la chiude con Brignola, al 46esimo, 3-1! Enrico Brignola, Benevento, breakout Benevento, they're winning 3-1. Uh, David uh, Konacki uh, getting a goal really late for Sampdoria, but Benevento with this. I mean, uh, as Milan fans, thank you, Sampdoria. <laughs> Because this is now, this is now the shock of the season. Benevento three, Sampdoria two. Richard, can they do it? If they do it, that's going to be even more miraculous than what Crotone did last year. Because Crotone, what they did last year was like beyond 5,001 odds. And, and at this point, you know, at the midpoint, same point that Crotone was last year, Benevento only had, what, four points midseason? Or not even? Yes. Yeah, yeah, four. Else? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if they, if they somehow, I mean, they're like 11 points behind, or, you know, the next closest uh, team uh, before this game. So, If they were to somehow catch them and then stay up, that would be, I mean, I would just, I wouldn't even know what to say. I'd be speechless. I would be speechless. Just incredible, just incredible stuff. Uh, I, I just wondered if they could win one game, and now they've got back-to-back -back wins. Uh, in the uh, immortal words of Lou Brown from Major League, it's called a winning streak. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh Oh, the first major league was actually filmed in my hometown, Milwaukee. I actually got to go to it when I was a kid. So got to go to the filming. It was great. But uh, and, and, and enough about that. That's baseball. Uh, we've been asking this question week after week after week. Ken, has Sampdoria peaked? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, if, if you lose to Benevento, Sam, you've peaked. Yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and I love the story of Benevento. I I mean, I just I I love to see any of these southern teams fight it out in the way Benevento started the year. You know, it's it's been pretty. It's fun to see them get a couple wins back to back. I mean, you talk about right before the halfway line, you have a team with one point. But uh, Sampdoria and some you know Sampoli, we we uh, we it's it's hard to to say that that they're not past their peak now because they've been on a hellacious run the last you know, month, month and a half. Ever since they beat Juventus, it's been all going up, upside down for them. Yeah. And, you know, you have to just, I mean, I, I like the the story of Sampdoria, especially earlier this year. And, you know, the whole story with Qualiarella and the form that he's in is absolutely unbelievable, uh, given his age and his story. And obviously we don't need to talk anymore about the, the, the stalker thing and everyone knows about it now, but Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to do some some soul searching on the, on the two week break and, and figure out where it's where it's going wrong for them. I, I think I think Duvan Zapata getting hurt um, and Ivan Strinic getting hurt and just a little bit of falling out of form has has all happened at the wrong time. Um, you know, you're talking about a team that maybe you were talking about a sleeper to get into Champions League, and now you know now all of a sudden that that race for the Europa League spot. Or the Europa League spots is really opening up, and I think anybody from maybe fifth to tenth has has a chance. The way the way teams are alternating form right now, especially if Udinese can keep up their form, all of a sudden people will be talking about them and a chance to get into Europe. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's disappointing because we 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 thought the world of Sampdoria and some of the things that they did, but yeah, it is it has tailed off. I mean, ever since they beat Juventus, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot from them. Um, so uh, going from one team in Genoa uh, to another team in Genoa, like how I did that, Richard. Very smooth, very smooth, very smooth. I did. It was it's a, it's about as smooth as you're going to get from me. Uh, Genoa hosting Sassuolo. Uh, one goal in this game from Andre Galabinov in the 80th minute. Genoa beats uh, Sassuolo here. Um, Ken, we should talk about Genoa's form a little bit here because uh, you know they're going to be. For, I mean, Coppa Italia fine. They went out to they went out to Juventus. I don't think they necessarily can. But you take a look at the league here, uh, unbeaten in their last four, um, and uh, you know in their last seven. Uh, win, win, loss to Atalanta. Uh, draw, win, draw, win. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good run of form. Davide Balladini certainly uh, having an impact on this team that Ivan Juric somehow wasn't. Yeah, what the this is another one of those teams where the the manager switch has made all the difference. I mean, we just taught we've been talking about Danesi a lot, and you know, this is another one of these for Genoa. This is another six point match. You know, these are two teams that are near the bottom of the table in Genoa and Sassuolo. And I actually even wrote a note here. Huge three points for Genoa and a six-pointer near the bottom of the table. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Galabinov gets, you know, gets an 80-minute header. And, I mean, even when you look at the squad, you know, you're like, yeah, this has a look of a team that will be fighting relegation. But, I mean, you know, if your coach is getting the most out of Adal Tarap, then you're doing something right because, you know, that. (laughs) <laughs> That's the type of player that doesn't give his all for anybody, and and he's come out publicly and said, you know, I, this is the first time I've in the last five five years I feel good playing football. So, you know that that you got to give the manager credit there, and you know, Ge- Genoa are, are Serie A buddies here at Napoli, so we want them to to uh, stay up and and continue their form un- until they play us, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think that. You know, you you look at one loss in seven, and it and it be to Atalanta. That that's not anything to hang your head, hang your head about. Because Atalanta, I mean, we, this is second year in a row now. You know, Gasparini has got those guys playing on three fronts this year, and in all of the competitions that he started in. So, you know, Genoa Genoa should be proud of, of the form that they're in, and I, I think they'll be able to 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 stave off rele, you know relegation this season. And Richard, uh, I mean, and this is, I mean, it's. This is nothing to shake a stick at with this Sassuolo team because this is they beat a Sassuolo that has just come off of wins over Sampdoria, uh, Inter, and then getting a draw at Roma. So uh, you know they beat they beat a Sassuolo that's been in a pretty good run of form. Yeah, Sassuolo have been have been pretty hot hot themselves, you know, as of late. So I mean, there's nothing to hang your head on because you you just ran into a wall named Mattia Perrin. I mean, like you said, Genoa they they kept four clean sheets in the last four games. So. Um, it's nothing to hang your head against Sassuolo. They've been playing well, and if I mean, they should they should not look take this as a as a as two points loss. They should just take this as a as a good point. I mean, uh, two good teams playing against each other, two teams in in, in good form. So um, hopefully they can just keep this momentum going and keep this progression up the table because um, neither of these teams belong in this relegation fight. Um, and you know, Genoa have got enough points now. Both of them are, are far enough away, but still, you need to keep plugging away because uh, you don't want to you don't want to make it a close race at the end because anything can happen in the end if if Benevento can pull a Cartone then 
who knows what's going to happen. You don't want to be that team that goes down. So just keep, you know, keep the, keep the fine form going. And I, I think Sassuolo, uh, they definitely have at least the momentum now that they can keep, keep progressing up the table. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just all looking good under Balladini at the moment. Safe, safe, you know, nine points clear of the drop sitting there in 14th. So and Sassuolo, I mean, it's, it's not a real killer for them, but, uh, it, you know, enough to make them sweat. Uh, they're on 21 points, six points clear of the drop at the moment. Uh, also in this collection of multi-calcio at the San Siro, it was AC Milan taking on Crotone, uh, a game that was dominated by Milan. And everybody can look at this and sit here and say, well, it's Crotone. Well, you know what? You're not a Milan fan. We needed this. We needed to just go and show that we could completely out-possess a team, complete control of the game, 13 shots on target, uh, um, you know, Alex Cordaz, uh, the, the goalkeeper, uh, wanted to prove himself after we put him on the crap on the cracker team again. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, so, I mean, 60% possession, 13 shots on target, uh, you know, 21 shots altogether. Uh, but it, the, the, the goal came from a strange source, and that strange source don't need, probably didn't even know about it until it went in. No, battuta di Salanoglu, Cordas con i pugni! Esulta Bonucci, forza ha toccato lui per ultimo! 1-0 Milan! The captain, Leonardo Bonucci, Richard, finally coming through, isn't he? <laughs> He, I mean, he obviously didn't know what what happened, but he acted like he did it on purpose uh, with his celebration. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's about time <laughs> yes, he, he scored. You know, it's about time he scored. Um, not only him, but the team in general played well. Uh, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez later in the game had a, a, a had a, a brilliant uh, box out move to you know prevent the the, uh, the attacker from trying to score. Bielia looked pretty decent. Calabria had a good game. Um, Chalhanalu, I mean, him in the starting lineup, you know. I've been saying it all season that he is one of the best players on the team. He just needs to be on the pitch to to to, to show what he's got. Um, but yeah, it's big to have Bonucci scoring. Um, hopefully, he can help you know be a catalyst and lead this team upward back up the table because uh, they are they are one of the disappointments of the season thus far. And you know, it's a great result for for Gattuso. This wasn't an easy matchup against um, Crotone. Um, Crotone, they're not they're no slouches. Yes, they're they're one of the bottom teams of the league, but. I mean, they dominated Kievo the other week, so I mean, they have, they have, a, they've been on a fine form as of late. So it's not, it's not a, a soft win, if you will. So, hey, any three points you can get in this league, you got to take it. Well, I mean, and and and, and just recently against Napoli, uh, Ken, they were stingy to Napoli too. Yeah, I was just gonna say, they're Crotone is one of these stubborn teams. You know, they're a team that will sit back, invite pressure, and you know, do stubborn defensive things that make you want to pull your hair out. And, you know, it's, it's another Milan, you know, in a, in a similar fashion to, to a way a lot of teams have to beat these sort of scrappy, you know, minnow teams is, you know, you just get an ugly goal and they did exactly that. It was not pretty at all, but it doesn't matter because they all count the same. And, you know, I, I think, I think Gattuso really needed a win badly. Um, mm-hmm. For his personal confidence, for the team's confidence, um, I do give him credit for something that Montella didn't do, and I think that's play the players that deserve to play every week. You know, I know you guys have talked about your anti-love affair for Nikola Kalinic and the <laughs> fact that he'd been starting every game. 
you know, and you, you know, you give the kid Cotrone a, a chance. I mean, he doesn't score a goal, but he gets in the starting lineup. You know, you play uh, Chahanaglu, who I think needs to be playing more matches. I mean, he's yeah one of those players that even if he's not decisive all game, can do one thing in a match that can give you points. Whether it's a crazy line splitting pass, he's a free kick machine. Uh, anybody who watched Bayer Leverkusen can tell you that. Yep, yep. Uh, he can he can score from a dead ball. Um, you know, and he could do that that one thing that just opens up space for someone else. Um, and I think it's good to see, you know, those types of players playing. Even a guy like Calabria, you know, he I think he played pretty darn well, all things considered. Yeah, you know, it, was, so- it was it was Calabria's best game as a Milan player I, that I can as far as I can remember. So, yeah, I think for, for, sure. for me, the, the only player that I look at thus far this season that. I would say, man, I'm really surprised you're playing so poorly is Frank Kessie. And I know he had a goal taken away from him this week on, on a VAR turnover. But, I mean, when I watch Milan and I see Frank Kessie, it's not the same Frank Kessie that played for Atalanta. Um, that's just no, my no. personal opinion. Yeah. No, you're right. No, you're right. He's uh, Him and Bilia both have been like uh, major disappointments this season because we expected so much from them. And, and neither of them, especially uh, – well, both really – both of them are really bad. But Kessie, we expected so much – uh, being the promising young player that he is, and he just for whatever reason has been snake bitten all season, and he had, he came close in this game, but it's got taken away from him. But hopefully he'll use that as confidence. Mm-hmm. It's uh, but it's a, it's 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 three points, and right now when you're in the situation that Milan are in, you're taking three points any way you can get it. So, um, moving on, let's move on to Ken's team. It was Napoli uh, hosting Hellas Verona. Uh, Hellas Verona, I saw this game. Hellas Verona had clearly zero interest in playing football. Uh, as evidenced by their 28% possession. Um, and I think that, that that 28% has to be a lie. Ken, it felt like Napoli had this ball. Had the only, I think the only time Verona had it was when they were either taking throw-ins or digging the ball on their net on the two occasions. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a match where, you know, you could say, I mean, we've Napoli have won some scrappy ones this year, and this was not one of those matches at all. Now, Napoli really dominated this game. I mean... They hit the post twice in the first half, and you know that there were some really yep. d- decent saves by Nikolash, and we had a goal taken away from us uh, by Mertens, uh, which was rightfully called back for offside. Um, but you know, this is a game where going into the second half, I, I said it on the Sempre podcast: the first thirty to thirty-five minutes, Hellas used some of their energy to try to get catch us on the counter. Then, when that became abundantly clear that anytime they tried to counter that they were leaving spaces open. They decided, you know what, you know, Pekia and his boys decided just to hunker down and, and hopefully could stave us off. And, you know, it, it took another one of those ugly goals off a corner kick. Koulibaly just jumps higher than Nikolash and blasted in net. And, you know, Koulibaly gets his fourth goal of the year um, for sure. Center backs, not too bad of a return. Um, and then, you know, a, a Napoli trademark goal that, that we talked about earlier is that back post, cross from Insigne on his left foot and and Callejon is just there to you know push it across the line really and it was a dominating performance it was one of those performances where Napoli had all the swagger and you know the fact that it wasn't three four five nothing is you know is probably lucky for for Hellas. Um, goals from Kalidou Koulibaly as you mentioned in the 65th minute and from Jose Callejon in the 78th minute uh you're gonna win a you're gonna win a title. You got to figure out uh, how to win games against teams that aren't going to try to play football against you, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. These are these are games where, you know, in previous years, Napoli would have struggled to get the breakthrough. I think you know we we've had a bunch of games like like that this year. We had Spal, a pesky team. You know, Hellas Verona. I mean, I know they're near the bottom of the table, but but these are the teams that the teams that don't want to play football against you sometimes are the hardest ones to get that first goal against. And usually, once you crack them open. You know, it ends up being a little bit easier, but, it, you know, it took us over an hour to get it in this match. And, you know, you, it, it's one of those things we, t- you know, we talk about often is as long as you do your business against the provincial sides, you can afford yourself a little leeway when you play the best teams. And, and, and that's the sort of way you have to get it. You collect all the points against these little sides and you know what, you can afford to to drop a point or, or two points or three points now and again to, you know, the top three or four teams. And I think that's the way you have to sort of look, look at any any title contending team going into a season. Agreed. Uh, you know, agreed. Richard, uh, uh, not much to say about Hellas Verona here. Um, they probably looked at this and saying, Hey, let's just go, uh, let's just go take our medicine and we'll worry about getting our points in other games. I mean, to be fair, they were, they were only the second best team you know, in that game, you know? So <laughs> no, it, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, at, at this point, they had to look at the game and be like, you know, we had no chance of winning this game, so let's just worry about the next. Um, Moise Keane got a chance to start, and unfortunately, he had to come up against the wall that is called Kulubali. So um, it was a good le- learning experience for him, if anything, you know. So um, Fiorentina, I mean, not Fiorentina. What the fuck am I thinking of Fiorentina? Part of my French. Um, Hellas Verona, yeah, they they probably knew that this, this was a long shot of a win or any kind of result in this game, so... They just did what they could to uh, not embarrass themselves and letting up only two goals against somebody in Napoli. Uh, you can look at that, I guess, as an achievement. Uh, but really, they had no business being in this game at all, which they, they weren't really involved. Like I said, 28% is, is being being kind to them. I think it was more like 10%. Yeah, it was, uh, it was basically a uh, – was you, you know how um, uh, we, back when we played uh, – you you know day before day before a match whether you know depending whether you played high school or college whatever or club or whatever and uh, we'd have uh, what was called shadow training um, where it would just be eleven <laughs> eleven v zero um, where you're just trying to go through some movements and go through some things and yeah, you know that, and that's, that's sort of something that yeah yeah I think this was <laughs> this was this was shadow training for Napoli is really what it was so um, you know but. Uh, I understand Hellas Verona, and if you're a Hellas Verona supporter, I understand. You knew you weren't going to win anyway, so they just <laughs> so. But uh, just a it was a it was a pathetic performance from the visitors, and uh, I just you know it was one of those where you just kind of wish Napoli would have punished them with seven or eight goals uh, instead of the two that they got. And so yeah, uh, I think the two the only two players on Hellas Verona that cared about playing were Romolo and and Martin uh, Casares, and that was that was really yeah. agreed agreed. Um, moving on, we had, uh, Spal and Lazio, um, the reverse fixture, uh, if we remember, uh, Alfred Gomez had like 14 saves, uh, in a nil-nil draw. Lazio was just all over Spal's goal. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for Alfred Gomez, he would not be able to turn in a repeat performance, uh, here in the rematch, uh, as, uh, it was Luis Alberto in the fifth minute who finally found a breakthrough. Ancora la possibilità per Luis Alberto. Sotto la suola Luis Alberto, un gol straordinario di Luis Alberto che porta in vantaggio la Lazio dopo 5 minuti. Un gol fantastico. 
That opened the scoring, but just three minutes later, there would be a penalty, and Mirko Antonucci converted that, and we thought maybe that uh, this could be an interesting one, but then in the 19th minute, someone was uh, a little angry about being removed from the squadra finora. Il tocco per Luis Alberto, splendido per Immobile! Ciro Immobile a quota 17 in campionato! Ciro Immobile, and... He was only getting warmed up there because in the 26th minute, he did this. And four minutes later, Mirko Antonucci would pull one back to put Spall within 3-2. And then uh, uh, Ciro Immobile is not done. Here he goes again. Pallone giocato per Basta in Corsia. Il cross per Immobile! A Hattie before halftime uh, for Immobile. Uh, it put Lazio uh, up 4-2 at the break. And just for good measure, five minutes into the second half. Ancora Ciro Immobile e sono quattro al quinto minuto della ripresa. Il poker di Ciro Immobile. Ciro Immobile with a fourth that takes him to 20 goals in 20 Serie A matches. Uh, that is a pace for 38 goals, which would break Gonzalo Higuain's record. Ken, can he do it? I hope he does. I really hope he does because wiping that off of off of the record book would be just perfectly fine with me. Um, you're, a little but, bitter, you're a little bitter towards Iguain. Uh You know, <laughs> he's, he's one of those, you know, he is, he's not the most popular character around our parts. Uh, I think if you go to the Sempre SSC Napoli podcast, you know, you don't hear his name too often. I, I won't even say it now. So, um, but I mean, Immobile is one of these players where, you know, he goes through his peaks and valleys, and his valleys can be pretty barren, but his peaks are unbelievable when it comes to just bagging goals in bunches. And, you know, he scored them a bunch of different ways. And he's – when you think about the fact that he left Serie A to begin with and, and where he could be if he just stayed on the peninsula, it's super frustrating, you know, as a as a guy who just loves to see him play. I mean, even back to his days in, in Pescara when, you know, you had the – the, the dream Serie A B team with him and Singe and, and Verratti, I mean, I just love watching the guy play, and he's been unbelievable this year. Uh, he's him and, him and the chemistry he has with Luis Alberto, who, I mean, when Lazio sold Keita Balde, you know, and Felipe Anderson is basically out for half the season, you try to wonder where some of the string pulling is going to come from, and 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 what a what a half and half plus season Luis Alberto has had. The goal he scores in this game is just absolutely ridiculous. He makes two unbelievable moves and gets four defenders out of his way before, you know, putting one past uh, Gomis. And I mean, I personally, I think Gomis has been one of the best goalkeepers in Serie A. He gets absolutely peppered every single match. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, between him and between Immobile and and Mirko Antonucci, one of my favorite bearded compatriots. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was a it was a good game for me to see all these guys scoring in. Richard, you have a couple of stats for La, uh, on Lazio there. 
Yeah, well, uh, Spa Lazio match collected the most goals in the first 30 minutes of a Serie A matchup uh, with five. Uh, that's that's a lot of goals there. And then speaking of Immobile, um, here's a name that uh, some of you may know. Uh, Ciro Immobile became the last Lazio player to score 20-plus goals in two Serie A campaigns. You know who the last person to do that, Frank? Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to try to take a guess here. It's uh, Gavin Haverty is one of his favorite players. Uh, yeah, uh, Giuseppe Signori. Exactly, 92-93 and 93-94. That's a long time since Napoli had two had back-to-back 20-goal scorers in the season. So, But good for him, mean, I mean. You mean Lazio? I mean Lazio. Jeez, what am okay. I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, but you're yeah, you're too you're too infatuated with what our guest has to say about Napoli. <laughs> it's that beard, I guess. You're getting your you're getting you're getting your you're, you're getting your you're getting your light blues mixed up here. That's right. Uh, it's all the same, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't, that ain't. Oh, man. Lazio has won a Scudetto in this last quarter century, though. So. Oh. Oh no! This is not. We got a. He's a. He's a Napoli guest. We can't keep doing this. I'm sorry, Ken. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, that's one for our friend Vittorio to enjoy if he if he listens. So, <laughs> so okay. Uh, is Ken still there? <laughs> still here. My fi- my fi- my fingers on the hang up button though. Yeah, let's move on before he hangs up. <laughs> We have been about we've I think we've actually probably been twice as nice to you as we've been to James I think I, I'm guessing <laughs> I have to go back and listen to those so uh, but anyway uh, so we had two games remaining and another one uh, these uh, the marquee games Roma and Atalanta uh, Atalanta getting now that uh, uh, Europa League business is not needed until uh, February they've uh, gotten serious about their Serie A performances Roma trying to. Uh, remain within that top four and remain within that striking distance um and uh there would be uh roma would be in for a surprise because 14 minutes in Cornelius avanza campo aperto poi aspetta il tiro giro Cornelius il terzo gol stagionale di Cornelius peace love and soul and yes that is exactly how the Lega Serie A sound went when Andreas Cornelius uh, opened the scoring for Atalanta uh, to uh, to give them the lead, and just five minutes later, Roma's troubles would be doubled. Non il Papu, la palla dietro De Ronda, due a zero dell'Atalanta. Martin De Ron getting a goal here to put the visitors in front two nil against Eusebio Di Francesco's team, and apparently Richard De Ron thought he was just so cool about that goal that he could do whatever he wanted after that. He gets a yellow in the 28th minute and then gets another one just before halftime to get sent off, uh, putting Atalanta down to 10 men. Um, and uh, that would be the score, but last season's Capocannonieri strikes to uh, make this 2-1 in the 56th minute. Attenzione alla palla in profondità per Dzeko! 2-1! La Roma riapre la partita con Edin Dzeko, nono gol stagionale per il Bosniaco. Edin Dzeko uh, getting... Uh, Roma within uh, uh, within within striking distance, and Roma really, as you would expect, with the man advantage, monopolizing possession, monopolizing the chances. But in the end, uh, Atalanta able to preserve the victory here by a final of of two goals to one. Um, fun stuff aside from uh, the Andreas Cornelius stuff, which I think we're just going to play the Soul Train theme every time he scores. Um, 
so we're hoping he scores in bunches. Wouldn't it be fun if he was the Capricorn and Yeti? Uh, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, we could just play that thing. We could just play that thing and just wear it out. So, <laughs> um, concern for Roma here, uh, R- Richard. Um, here's here's their last six. I mean, here's their last five. Uh, in Serie A, it's just uh, actually just one win from their last five. Uh, a draw at Chievo, uh, and then that win, a 1-0 win over Cagliari. Losing at Juve, drawing Sassuolo, and now losing at home to 10-man Atalanta. Yeah, I mean, they, they just unfortunately played some, some some of those teams were just too hot to handle. I mean, Juventus, obviously. Atalanta, they're playing really, really well right now. I mean, can can attest how, how well uh, Atalanta are playing. Um, and then, you know, Sassuolo, they're also playing very well this, uh, at the moment. So, you know, it's, it, it's a bit of dip in form for, for Roma and they just ran into teams that are playing, playing really well. So, um, they need to find a way to shake this off just as like entered that like we were talking about earlier. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're starting to, they're slipping in the table a little bit. Um, I believe now Lazio are ahead by one point over Roma and then, uh, they're just ahead of, uh, Sampdoria, I guess it is. So, you know, that, that last, the battle for that last, uh, Champions League spot, well, the, the two Champions League spots between Inter, Roma, and Lazio is going to be a, a dogfight to the, to the end of the season, it seems like. And at, and at the beginning of the season, I wouldn't have thought that. I thought Roma would have had a better chance than, than Lazio, but Lazio, uh, with the goals that Immobile are bringing in, um, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough battle. So if Inter and Roma both don't pick up the pace, uh, they're going to be both passed by, by, by the Roman team. Ken, uh, Gian Mario Gasparini has got to be the Rodney Dangerfield of managers in Serie A, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as it goes back to the days when he was at, at Udinese as well, I mean, he just, I mean, the, the last two seasons, we talked about a little bit before, but the last two seasons with Atalanta, I mean, have just been, I mean, you think about all the teams that they've beaten in these two seasons. I mean, they beat us, they beat Napoli twice last year. They drew U of A this year already. They beat us in Coppa Italia, and we play them right. We play them on the other end of this break in Bergamo, where they haven't lost a game yet this season. Um, they've only lost one game in Serie A in their last seven, which is a ridiculous run. Their they're run in Europa League, I think everybody was assuming they wouldn't barely make it out of the group, and they, you know, they taught Everton two lessons in that group, and now <laughs> and I and they have a chance to they have a chance to really be put them put themselves on the map because I think they're going to give Borussia Dortmund a run for their money. I really do. Um, I mean, what else can you say about, about the, you know, the way that they conduct their club and the type of business they do? I mean, even little shrewd moves like bringing Martin Darun back after he went to Middlesbrough last year, he comes back. He's been a very important player. Brian Cristante. I mean, what they've gotten out of him has got to be, you know, a pretty good feat. What he does with young players has really been his, his pedigree. And, and that doesn't seem like changing, you know, anytime soon. And just a quick note about Roma is, you know, Di Francesco, the the honeymoon is over, uh, it seems, a little bit here. And, you know, off the field issues, you know, we can talk about Nain Galan and, you know, his New Year's Eve parties. But, I mean, you have two, you have a pretty big matchup, set of matches coming up for Roma on the other end of the break. They play Inter, which is two teams who are struggling. And then they play back-to-back against Sampdoria, another yeah. team that's struggling. So you're talking about three huge games. They have the makeup game, and then so they play a home and away against Sampdoria after they play Inter. But I mean, to round out Atalanta, I mean, you can't really say enough nice things about what they've done. They're going to fight for a Europa League spot against again this year. 
just look what they did the last two away matches. And like I said, they beat Napoli and then they and then they beat Roma. Um, people who thought this was a fluke of what they've done. I mean, and Atalanta have made the most recoveries and one of the most tackles in Serie A this season. That's a, that shows you that a team that team is good. Uh, and like Ken said, look what they did in Europa League. Look what they're doing in Coppa Italia. Uh, you know, Giampiero Gasparini has got this, these boys playing really, really well right now. And he's actually learned from what Sassuolo mis- uh, had a mistake last year. And they're using all three of the uh, tournaments and rotating really well. And they got the team playing just top notch right now. And it, it, they're, they're, they're again a threat against every team in the league. So every team has to worry about them. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, it's been, um, been interesting i mean it's just like you know they what they, they languished there for a little while while they were trying to deal with the europa league and now that that's gone they're shooting right back up the table um you know it's certainly interesting there and then the point about roma yeah you know maybe this is just that dip in form and they you know the the break they get some things sorted out and try to you know try to get back on track but it's uh you know it's very interesting so um, finally, uh, we get to the last match of the Serie A week and one that, uh, you can already hear the sighing in the background from Ken. Uh, oh, <laughs> so unbelievably brutal. Yeah. Uh, Cagliari and Juventus. And, uh, let's just, if you watch this, we, 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 we got a thing and I like calling it getting Juvade. Okay. okay. Cagliari got, <laughs> Cagliari got Juvade. Um, and and that is not an endearing thing to say about Juventus. Uh, they ripped off this win. There's no. I'm not going to even be polite about this because I watched this. Uh, okay, so here's what happened, um, and we'll just get to the to the two main storylines because really, I mean, Juventus monopolized the possession in this game. Uh, by the way, uh, Paulo Dybala uh, had to be substituted in the 55th minute. It is a upper leg injury. And it sounds like uh, the latest update that I'm hearing is that uh, he will be out long enough to miss at least the first leg of the Champions League uh, round of 16 against Tottenham. So, oh, uh, yeah, that uh, that that could be uh, that could be a bit of an issue here. Uh, although, when you take a look at the Roma game, the Napoli, well, yeah, he featured in the Napoli game, but he didn't play in the Roma game. Uh, Allegri went with. Uh, he went with a three-man midfield of uh, Matuidi, uh, Kadira, and Pjanic uh, with, uh, with, with Mandzukic, Mandzukic and Cuadrado in the wide areas. So um, he has put it out there already and has figured out how to win games without Dybala. So we'll see what happens with that. But anyway, uh, there was some sort of a collision or some sort of an incident. A Cagliari player went down with a head injury uh, or an apparent head injury. Uh, the referee allowed play to continue. Um, so Juventus just continued to play. Uh, Douglas Costa gets the ball wide. He crosses it. Federico Benedeschi scores 1-0 to Juventus. Uh, so apparently, um, unless, Ju- unless unless Juventus has possession, Ken, uh, play must stop when there's an apparent head injury, right? Yeah, so the, there are so many things wrong with, with th- this play, first of all. First, it's a foul that needs to be called. Benatia gets his elbow up and and hits Pavoletti in the, square in the nose. No... Should have been a red. Should have been a red. Should should have been at the bare minimum a foul, and it's a it's a foul that's that going to be seen red. Let I mean, me it, jump in on that. Let me jump in on that. Medi Benatia got a Medi Benatia could have murdered somebody out on the pitch in this game on Saturday, and would not have gotten booked for it. Yeah. It, it, so first, there's that. Then Pavoletti is on the ground, and even if he's not going to call a foul, the referee at some point should be blowing his whistle for an apparent head injury, like you said, Frank. Then. You know, 
there's going to be conflicting arguments about this, but Calgary continue to play while they have the ball at the edge of Juventus's box. Once the ball comes out, everyone is pleading for them to kick the ball out. And what do they do? Of course, they don't kick it out. They go down to the end of the other, the other end of the, of the field and score a goal. So, you know, Juve fans are going to complain that, 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 you know, just because they're on top that, you know, they're going to complain about it. And I already had them coming after me that, there should have been a handball against Mertens the week before against Napoli uh, when Napoli played Crotone, but they failed to realize that earlier in that game, Koulibaly was dragged down and thrown in the penalty box, and that wasn't given either. But, I mean, this play, specifically this play, there there's three times where, you know, it should have been a dead ball situation, a foul that wasn't called, a head injury that wasn't addressed, and then just sort of the, you know, sportsman thing to do to kick the ball out to let a guy who's suffering from a head injury recover. Agreed. Um, Richard, what was your thoughts when you saw all of that? Did you think the play? Did you think the play should have stopped? Oh, absolutely! Anytime there is a head injury, you want you want it to stop because I mean, obviously we had the hindsight of seeing the replay. Um, but I mean, an injury to the head it has to be dealt with seriously. It, it does in other sports, in football, hockey, or whatever. Um, if there's a head injury, it, it's obviously something serious. Um, and even in the, look at the replay, you can see it was even that much more serious. I don't know what the, what the end of, end of result ended up being with uh, Pavoletti, but you need to kick it out. And then just to see, I mean, I give credit, I give credit to Douglas Costa for beating two de- two defenders and getting the cross off. But I mean, the whole play, it, it just it brought me the wrong way. I mean, you know, give credit to them that they scored, but they shouldn't have scored. They shouldn't they should have kicked the ball out, and the referee should have really blown the whistle to stop it. Uh, I know in other leagues, you know, you, you like the physical play, but in Serie, a, in, in Serie A, really, they don't do that. And especially, I mean, I can't stress enough, a head injury, you need to stop the play immediately. Um, some guys do fake it, and that's the problem with, 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 uh, with the sport, is guys fake it too much. So when guys really do get hurt, uh, the referees turn a blind eye, but it's, that's not an excuse. I mean, if someone's grabbing their head, you need to stop immediately. If they're grabbing another leg part, I can see the play keep going, but it was a head. Yeah. That's, that's, that's serious. Especially as he stays down. He stays down and doesn't really move anything. He stays holding his head. The referee's got to – or an assistant. Someone's got to – you know, all these guys have communicators and microphones and everything else. Oh, yeah. Hey, the guy's down. Blow the whistle, man. Like, what is your – what's the deal? Yeah. Yeah, it's – I subscribe to all of that. I certainly agree to all of that. I think it was – I think it was shameful, um, you know, that that didn't stop. And I think it was shameful on the part of Juventus for not – you know, I mean – if we're going to have player safety, if we're going to have concerns about player safety, you know, there's got to be some consistency. But that wasn't even the half of it. Okay, so that goes – minutes later, there's a cross in the – Calier gets off a cross uh, that, that is into Juventus's penalty area, is clearly handled by Bernardeschi, no call given on the pitch. And then the after the consultation with VAR, still no penalty. Th- this is what – the, what, the, what the fuck do we have VAR for? Yeah, this is this is something that is like when you talk about egregious things that are missed. I mean, if you go to the video assistant referee, it's plain as day. I mean, I think after the match, I talked about the you know the ball being fourteen meters away from Bernardeschi when it's when it's when it's kicked in. So it's not like he's three or four meters away and and he can't move his arm out of the way. If you watch the replay, you see you see his body move away from the ball, but his arms stay out. To handle it. If that's yeah. not a clear penalty, then I don't know what is. is. This is something in VAR that needs to be sort of cleared up because we had a similar situation in the Napoli game 
where they called a goal back for offside, which was rightfully called back. But you don't know when VAR is being called, if the video assistant referee who's calling in from Rome, I'm assuming, is even what he's saying to the referee on the pitch, if they're communicating properly. Or, you know, I feel like we, I, we talked about it on Sempre earlier today. Anytime a play is under review, the, the referee should be making the TV sign, period. And they don't always do it. Make the TV sign, and he should at least make an attempt to go over to the video board at the arena or at the stadium. This has to be done. There needs to be more transparency in exactly what's going on when he's just delaying the whistle from being blown, especially when it's a call like this that essentially gives a team points or takes points and takes points away from another team. And, you know, to add to the icing on top of it, it's a Juventus match where 10 minutes earlier something else controversial happened. You know, these are sort of the things that, you know, when when you talk about Serie A and, and, and sort of, you know, brandishes on on the, the integrity of the game, these are the sort of things that people look at and say, you know, that's a little weird. Yeah, it is. It is. It is very weird. Um, and I think I said, I don't know who, who said it on Twitter, but they were talking about the explanation that Bernard Eschie was in the process of moving his arm back into his body. I'm sorry, Richard. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Richard, Richard, didn't. I think Mattia, it was Matteo said that. Didn't, yeah, didn't, didn't, didn't Matteo DiCilio try to do that last year? Yeah. This was completely behind you know, his back and it hit him and it, and it called a penalty. Yeah. So, someone else put something like, it wasn't intentional. It's like, it doesn't matter whether it's, an inten- whether it's intentional or not. If your arm is away from your body, that's a risk you take when you play this game. If your arm is not tucked behind your back, and with DiCilio, I mean, that was ridiculous last year, but it's like, if you're not, if your arm is away from your body in the penalty box and the ball strikes you, you're still impeding a cross and it's still a penalty. The, the, to me, it's it's as clear as day, and the the fact that it wasn't given is is atrocious. It's just it's yeah. There's there's you know and 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 I think he tried to come back and say, and you're right, it was Mateo Richard, and he tried to come back and say, you know, there's always going to be a human element. I mean, come on, how many more times? Are Juve going to get this happening in their favor? I mean, this has to be discussed now. I mean, in the past, I don't, I didn't like to bring it up on this pod, but this was just, this was just glaring, um, you know. And uh, what does that say to these, you know, so-called provincial teams that are, you know, are tr- are trying to fight for points and are trying to fight for survival? And I mean, in Cagliari at the moment, um are in relatively decent shape. I mean, they're in 16th. They're five points above the drop. They maybe have a little bit to worry about. But, you know, if they get relegated and they could have gotten a point out of this game and it comes down to that point, I mean, th- that that's that's what we're talking about here. You know, let's let's get on the – let's let's have – it needs to be a level play. It just – it stops being a coincidence when it goes in one team's favor way too many times. Yeah, I mean, it's for me. It's when when you watch matches like this, you know. And and, and I watched the whole match yesterday, and I thought first I thought Calgary, even before all this stuff happened, was real. I mean, I know Juve hit the woodwork twice, but two world class saves by Chesney saves their bacon at the yeah, end of the oh, day. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And w- which, as a sidebar here, does anybody know what's really going on with Gigi Buffon? Because he's just sort of not playing. I mean, are they saving him just for Champions League? I mean, I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I don't know. That that's just a quick sidebar because I noticed that he's only played. He hasn't played 
since the Napoli game, and they're they're calling an injury. But ever since Italy has gone out of the World Cup, he's only played twice. Right. So, um, but anyway, aside from that, you know, these two calls go against a team that played well enough to get something out of it. And when you see it as egregious as that, I mean, you know, I don't know what the recourse is in, in Serie A, and it's pr- almost certainly off or not. But you know, if, if if you're the sporting director and you're or the owner of of Cagliari, you, you know, you have to be making a call to 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 Serie A Tim and say, you know, we we need some sort of explanation for this. As so, you know, I know your people are going to complain about the human element, but isn't the, isn't the VAR part of it supposed to take the human element out of the game when it's something that's so blatant? That's just my two you know two cents about it. Is there still hints of still elements of Calciopoli, even though Calciopoli was so many years ago, Richard? Yeah, and it'll always be that. And especially people who are not from uh, familiar with the league or don't watch the league on a consistent basis, they're always going to bring that up. Um, but it, it's, it's, it shows when things like this happen, you start thinking, okay, maybe stuff is still around. I mean, um, it happens too often and, and you really don't, I mean, you hope that, like, like Ken was saying, VAR would take this element out of it. But then ultimately, you know, who are the people who are looking at the VAR? And it's it's humans. And so there are, the human aspect is always going to be involved in it. So until they can uh, find a nonpartisan way to uh, watch the replays and, and, and deal with the results, it's we're always going to have this, unfortunately, I think. And it's almost second nature, which it shouldn't be because uh, it, it's egregious, like you guys are saying. And um <sighs> Calciopoli is always going to be in the background when, when stuff like this happens every single time, especially when Juventus is involved. It'll be brought up because they were one of the main teams involved in that. So um, it's a, it's it's a it's going to be a tall task for for Syria to shake that that stigma. It's uh, it's it's just something, and then Juventus fans are always going to be um, defensive at best. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to justify it. Or they're gonna they're gonna get angry at us for saying. But I mean, like I said, it's well. Then when does it stop being a coincidence for everybody? I mean, it's just you know it's 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 unfortunate. And you know, I, you know to you know, like I said, I mean this this could be a point that Cagliari ultimately needs to survive. I mean, yeah. So I mean, that's what it comes down to, and it's just. Uh, you know, it is unfortunate. I think it was just some things that were just really just badly mishandled. And, uh, and um, you know what's unfortunate about all of this is that um, uh, Massimiliano Allegri had uh, a milestone in this game, and it's all lost because of what happened on the pitch and, and with VAR. Um, you know, he won his 200 Syria game as uh, Syria game as a manager, his yep. hundredth with Juventus. So, but yep. all this is, you know, that should be what we were talking about. We're not because it's. Stuff like this that keeps happening over and over again, uh, with with the with the bad calls, with the VAR not working like it's supposed to. That's what we're talking about, unfortunately, for Massimiliano Allegri, um, and and the great work that he's been doing uh, with Juventus and before with Milan and, and Cagliari. So um, it just unfortunately it's Calciopoli just keeps bringing back coming coming back. It's ugly head keeps rearing rearing back. So yeah, yeah he, he 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 had some pretty particularly smug comments after the game too about. You know, it's unfortunate what happened, but we have to accept the referee's decision. It's like, of course you do, and it goes in your favor. It's easy to accept, isn't it? Did he say that when they lost to Juventus when uh, Montari scored the goal, but he didn't score the goal? I don't remember him saying that then. No, mm. he didn't. Yeah, back when he was <laughs> Milan, back when he was Milan manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah when he's a Milan manager. Yeah, no. yeah. So you know, it's and it, and it. What sucks about it is, you know, you. 
I think Allegri is is going to go down as as one of these these coaches that 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 will will always uh, you know prioritize winning even at the expense of his tactics, and I think that's one of his greatest strengths is his his ability to switch and change and you know yeah, sort of tinker. S- sort of tinker and 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 find his opponent's weaknesses and exploit them even if it's at the cost of the type of football he wants to play and that's and you know in games like this where he did it multiple times he had you know Dybala come off injured he had Kadira come off injured and he just tinkered and tinkered and tinkered but no one's going to talk about that after the game because everyone's all everyone's going to talk about are you know shady things that happen in 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 this team's favor over and over again yeah agreed Agreed. So, and it's a shame. And I mean, I, I mean, I guess congrats, Max, on, on the 200th Serie A win and 100th with Juventus. But uh, <laughs> it, it, I don't think uh, this is how he would have, you know, a, a, as smug as he might have been about with his comments, I don't think he would have wanted to script it this way. But uh, it's, you know, it's a win any way you can get it, I guess. And, uh, you know, it, it obviously continues to keep this a two horse race uh, with Napoli and Juventus at the top uh, right now third and fourth uh, look like at the moment being fought between three teams, Inter, Lazio, and Roma. Sampdoria look like they're, they're sitting sixth, but uh, with uh, Atalanta on 30 and then four teams on 28, that is not safe for them the way they're playing. Uh, so plenty to get excited about. And now Benevento going to start to make this uh, relegation fight interesting. It was, um, you know, three teams for one spot in safety between Spal, Cotone, and Verona at the moment. We got Cagliari and Sassuolo in Genoa who are pre- presumably safe for now. Uh, but, uh, you know, that could uh, that could all change here over the course of the coming weeks. It's uh, still a long, long way to go. We're just at the start of the second half of the season. Your thoughts on what you saw with the Juventus game, with what you saw in any of the action at the weekend, go to at Serie sit down on Twitter. Uh, or Instagram and, and give us some comments. So um, with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Uh, time for a uh, little shameless plug and uh, social media uh, uh, plug as well. And uh, Ken, floor is yours. Uh, plug away. Thank you. Well, first, thanks, Frank and Richard. This has been a lot of fun. It's good to talk all of Serie A and not just Napoli sometimes. Um, <laughs> but if you, if anybody is interested in listening to a bunch of guys talk about just Napoli, um, you can give us a follow over at uh, Sempre SSC Napoli, um, where we have our main Twitter account, um, uh, Sempre Podcast dot Podbean dot com for the podcast, uh, and then recently we've just relaunched our website, uh, which is all sort of opinion pieces and match coverage and all the rest of that, um, and that's Sempre Podcast sempreatpodcast.wordpress.com um, and I always tell anybody if you ever have anything Napoli related you want to talk to me directly about uh, at Napoli Stats is my Twitter handle and I love to chat Napoli or any other Serie A type of business with anyone I'm sure the Juventus fans will have plenty to say with me after this podcast so you know that'll that'll pretty much uh, you know wrap up my end of it again thanks guys for having me on it's, it's been an absolute pleasure Oh, pleasure having you on, Ken. And I think uh, next time we'll get both you and James on, uh, and uh, and really get into this. Maybe when Milan play Napoli, I, <laughs> so. I'm sure we I'm sure we'd love to chat. You know, uh, Napoli versus versus Milan. That, that would be wonderful. Yeah, uh, you guys can rub it in our faces because you're going to smoke us by about three or four, but that's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Richard, how about you? 
Uh, well, first, it was a pleasure to have Ken on because as, as, as a as stat guy myself, I enjoy you know when another stat guy comes on because I love watching the stats that he puts out there. So uh, thank you again for coming on. Um, well, you can uh, you can always just find me at r underscore k h a r m a n. Um, I've been on a little bit of hiatus as far as writing because uh, the holidays were here, so I was just taking. Uh, it was more important to me to stay with it, hang out with family than it was anything else. So um, I'll get back on to doing that. Yeah, that's pretty much that's it. Other than that, I'm just you know watching watching football. Actually, there's gonna be a break in Serie A now, so uh, maybe I'll just watch some other leagues and see how. And I'll miss Serie A while I'm watching the other leagues. So what about you? Yeah. Frank? Oh, it's gonna be hard to it's gonna be hard to uh, uh, no Serie A next weekend. So we'll have to figure out what to do to pass the time. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, you can go to at uh, FTC underscore twenty one. That is my uh twitter handle you'll uh you'll get some city i'm musings there you'll get some other random football musings there you'll get a lot of ranting uh on some of my uh, daily fantasy soccer habits um still don't know why a whole bunch of people picked gareth bale in that copa del rey game when he was only going to get 60 minutes but nonetheless uh i uh i'm also by uh blog the calcio consultant you can go to that that is on worldfootballindex.com uh I'm, i'm due to put out a piece i just wanted to take a break as well and enjoy my family and enjoy the holidays so uh, i will come out with uh, i'll try to come up with something interesting uh, and worth your time on that so uh, you can also go to at city sit down on twitter or instagram uh give us your thoughts there or if you want us to cover something on a future podcast please do uh but until then uh want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us uh be sure to tell your paisans about us ciao